Stokes here. Walks across the dead ball line. Now sprints back for Manly. Up he goes. Changes direction. This is rugby league, folks. Have a look at it. Links up with Cherry Evans. And still on for Manley. Away from Hess. Kicks in field. Look who's there. Tom. I'm happy with that. Big chase there. My goodness. Hello and welcome to the SC Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. We're back for the third episode of the NRL Supercoach pre-season. Very two, two very special guests, I should say, joining us this week. We've got CEO, actually, Supercoach Weapon, SC Playbook contributor, Adam DeRussi, on for the first time this season. Ads, how are you, mate? I'm very well, Tim. Thanks for having me, mate. Looking forward to um, getting into it. Also joining us, a very special guest here, Brian Seney, more commonly known as the NRL Physio, one of the best blokes in the Supercoach and NRL community. Brian, good to have you along, mate. Yeah, no, happy to be on board, mate. I uh, haven't dipped my toe into the Supercoach waters much yet this season, so uh, yeah, keen to get around it. Good to have you, mate. Hey, on today's show, Adam is going to take a little reflection of the 2021 Supercoach season, one of the most unique that I can remember and I've been a part of uh, with the rule changes, the massive ceilings of players, the blowout score lines. He's compared his side to 2021 champion Timmy Moody's. So we're going to have a deep dive into that and have a look at what he learned from that season. Uh, Brian is going to have a do look after injury watch for us, look at guys like Nathan Cleary, James Tedesco and a few others. Club analysis pieces again, the Cronulla Sharks, the Doggies, uh, if we can get time and get to them, the Titans as well this season before a few questions from social. <coughs> just a reminder, when you're on site, there is a tab just for the NRL home and for the AFL home if you don't want both of those taking up your screen at scplaybook.com.au. Fellas, let's get stuck into it this week. And Ads, we'll start with you and uh, a little chat about your article. Give the, the listeners a bit of context about what the data you looked into was from last season and I suppose the major conclusions that you came to following uh, the article. Yeah, sure, mate. So for those people who are familiar in the past, each week I'd track and see what the top 20,000 or 10,000 or 1,000 teams and so on look like in terms of their composition. So I just had this idea at the end of the year of thinking it would be interesting to go back and look at kind of each of those data sets every week and put them into one one data set and see what it looked like over the year. So see how, say, the ownership of players in you know, the centre position changed throughout the year across teams um, and so on. And then I thought, oh, it'd actually be interesting to track what my own team looked like versus the others. And then I thought, oh, I'll, I'll actually contrast it with my team versus um, Timmy's team who won. And, yeah, it was, it was interesting doing it. It took a little while, but when I then pulled together the kind of insights which are in the article. I uh, appreciate it's probably a bit detailed for a lot of people, but it was just interesting to see some of the things out there. And I came to a few conclusions which I probably hadn't thought of um, all of them myself before I did that. So um, maybe if I just quickly run through the key ones. I think the first one was I reckon we all spent a lot of time thinking about our starting side at the start of the year and you know, everyone thinking if you don't get that right, you're screwed and so on. Um, in the scheme of reasons why... You know, I didn't win last year and Tim did. I don't think the starting side was a big one. I reckon the vast majority of people, say, listening to a podcast like this, are going to start with largely the same teams. And to the extent you make an error in the first week, you've got those first couple of weeks to to uh, make your changes before um, prices change. And we you know, largely end up with similar sides. So I don't think the starting side was particularly particularly critical. And interestingly, if you look at, say, Tim's team who won, he only had four players in his team at the start of the year who were still there at the end of the year. And one of those was 
um, a guy who didn't even play a game. So, yeah, not not that critical. Sec- second one was just how important attacking players were, and I guess that's what you know you were alluding to about last year being a different season. And with those real changes, attacking players were super important. But when I look at, say, what I did versus what um, Tim did who won it, Tim moved really quickly on players who started looking like they were scoring big. So, you know, Nick, Nico Hines got, got 100 one week and then Tim brought him in the following week, whereas I waited two or three weeks to see that and, and get comfortable to bring him in. And so I missed out on a couple of weeks of Nico Hines going big and then the same thing happened with a couple of other players that ultimately ended up costing me a lot of points. Adam Dewey was another one as an example. He got a big score and then, you know, the teams who ended up in the top brought him in really quickly and people who waited longer like me got got punished. So that was a, that was a really big one, just how important it was to kind of trust who those great attacking players were. Like uh, Papalihi for the Eels was another one early in the year that some mm-hmm. people moved on quicker than others. Um, I think... The other, the other interesting one that I'm still trying to get my head around is, I guess, the extent to which centre was a really important position last year in those attacking positions. Because if you look at most people's starting sides that I'm seeing floating around, a lot of people are saying, I'll oh, use centres to get in cheap cash cows, which is right. It's probably the right strategy. It's probably what I'll do. But at the same time, I look and think, well, actually, centre was probably the most important position last year in terms of differentiating your team. So interestingly... Um, not many people are then bringing in gun centres to start the year, at least in sides I've seen at the moment. So that's you know something to debate, I reckon. Um, I reckon I, I I I didn't adjust to the rules quick enough in terms of what it meant for different players. So you know Tim and I have a joke about it last year because it was killing me. But you know I didn't bring in Alex Johnston when everyone else did. <laughs> I looked at his previous years and I thought he's just you know he has one good game and he has four four duds from a super coach point of view. He's a great NRL player, but just from a super coach player, I didn't think he had the consistency. So I, I thought, I'll let everyone else make that mistake and I won't bring him in. And it just killed me. And it was the same thing with Joey Manu. Again, he was a different player last year in terms of his consistency with the new rules versus previous years. So I reckon you want players with um, high attacking upside over consistency. And that's probably my big thing that I'll be thinking about in my own side when I you know think about tossing up individual players against one another. Um, there were certain positions last year that really just didn't matter, as, as it turned out. Like front row forward and hooker last year, they pretty much all ran with the same sides. If we didn't, the players all scored about the same. So it was just a good area to save save trades. So someone like Tim who won it, he saved trades in those spots and, and he benefited, um, whereas um, not, you know, not all teams did. Now, that might be different this year. Maybe a Harry Grant or someone with attacking upside does well, but last year it just, it just didn't play out. Um, the other big one, mate, was depth. So I made some mistakes during the year, which you know I just shouldn't have because I should know better. But I gambled on a couple of players heading into buy rounds. You know they played one game, and I thought I'll bring him in early so I've got more players for the buy. You know Zachary Sini from the Tigers and Jackson um, Tapine from the Bulldogs uh, and Sefer Talakai from the Sharks um, <laughs> oh, no. just killed me. And so as a result, I ended up with those three guys. Not only did they not play in the buy rounds, they scored bugger all. I then was stuck with them on my bench. And so come the end of the year when players are dropping like flies, I was having to start one or two of those guys some weeks. And so someone like Tim, he managed to keep some good players on his bench. And he, he didn't nuff out. I, I don't nuff out either, but a lot of teams do nuff out. And by the end of the year, people, a lot of teams were just running out of players. So I think one of the other big things last year was making sure you had enough depth to cover all the injuries that come. And I reckon this year with COVID, I mean, who knows how that's going to be playing out, but I would just be 
um, really prioritizing squad depth as opposed to people nuffing out, hoping they can do the VC loop. Like I reckon that's the most overrated thing in, in Supercoach. So yeah, they're probably a few of the key things, mate, without, um, you know, without banging on too long. Yeah, mate, some awesome insights. Thank you. And, and the article is there on website with all the information you need. Brian, I'll get your take on it, mate. I suppose there's so much you can dissect just in the couple of minutes that Adam spoke there. What were your major takes from it? The one for me that gets me thinking about things is, I mean, the rules have effectively stayed the same as last season. Supercoach point scoring hasn't changed. It's it's not so much chasing guys like Alex Johnston and Ruben Gate from round one because I think they're priced at their absolute peak. But it's finding maybe the 2022 versions of those players, you know, these guys slotting into wing roles for the stronger sides in the competition. Should there be any changes there? Mate, what did you make of all that? Yeah, like literally that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I, I only created my or, you know created my super coach sort of account and started setting out my side over the weekend and you know straight away like as Adam saying there you go back to your old old adage of oh, I went straight to the forwards you know I'll stack the you know stack the second row get the cheapies in the in the centers and that's just kind of I fell into that trap and you go through and you, you have a look at a lot of people posting their sides up and it's a similar sort of thing but I think Adam raises a really good point there in, in yourself as well. That I just think, like, you know, this if there's ever a year to sort of have a few mid-range, you know, CTWs who you think can go large, and even, like, you see guys, like, people talking about uh, Aitken from, you know, the Warriors or uh, Bo Firma from the, from the Titans, you know, second rowers available in the centres, and I'm like, are they actually the guys that you want to target? Do you want guys who've got you know, that more upside. So I think it's really, it's going to be a challenge sort of putting together our teams this year, you know, for us super coach players who've played for years and years and years, because we're kind of going to have to go away a little bit, I think, from, you know, what we've done in the past. Yeah, really interesting takes there. The one for me that stands out, who we've spoken about in the the opening episodes of the preseason, but it's a guy like Xavier Coates who we spoke just now about these high ceiling players sitting on the wings for clubs, but it's kind of ineffective if they're playing in a club that's going to get belted 40 to 10 each week, as we saw Brisbane do probably more often than not last season. He goes down to a team like the Storm. Look, there's risk associated with him, but the upside is there in a gun team like Melbourne. So guys like Xavier Coates get me really excited. Uh, and as we mentioned before, it's about jumping on them before they hit 700K because your Garrick's, your Alex Johnston's, your Brian Totos, these guys. Last year, once they hit that six 700K, unlike every other season, they didn't really come down. They just kept scoring and kept scoring. So uh, we're going to have to be reacting to that one quite quickly this season. And it'll be interesting to see how everyone approaches their round one teams. Guys, if you are interested in the SC Playbook subscription package, it's $30 for the entire season for the NRL package. If you want the NRL, AFL, BBL full package, it's $40. Gives you access to hundreds of extra articles throughout the season. Access to our WhatsApp group uh, involving all our contributors, the SC Playbook community. We'll answer your questions minutes before kickoff and just have a good little chat about Supergoat things there and help out where we can. Uh, it'll also get you eligibility to win our major unlimited group prize. Jump into our unlimited group with the code 511034. The prizes for this season, uh, after a, about a month of thinking about and getting creative, I went with exactly the same as last season because I'm not creative enough. Major prize for the highest ranked subscriber to knock us off in that group. 
two tickets for you and a mate to a regular season game of choice in 2023, plus a food and drinks package, plus a supporters jersey of your choice. The minor prize goes to the next highest ranked person in that group to knock us off. Two tickets for you and a mate to a game in 2023, food and drinks package. Fellas, let's get stuck into our first club analysis of the day. The Cronulla Sharks, very super coach relevant team this season. I'm not overly keen on a lot of them, but I know they've got some very, very popular players. Ads, I'll start with you, mate, and it's Braden Trindle, who's at 414k. His numbers from last season when starting are pretty good. He played the last 10 games of the season, averaged 70.7 points, so better than pretty good. In that time, he had two big tons without Sean Johnson on deck. Uh, There's a bit of a question mark whether he kicks goals or not with Nico Hines there. I think it'll be Trindle, but they are in a little bit of a fight for that through the preseason. Adam, is Braden Trindle on your radar as sort of a cut-priced half, especially if you're not considering, or let's say Nathan Cleary may miss round one? Uh, No, he's not at the moment. I can see why he could be for some other people. Um, He's not currently for me just because... I'm probably going to go with a halfback who's a bit more expensive than him and then a cheaper option as, as my kind of cash cow option. So I, I don't, he's just priced at that weird level of 440. Now, maybe he's a keeper mm-hmm. and he ends up worth 650 and, you know, I, I miss out. But I've probably got like a Luke Keary or a Sean Johnson in front of him at the moment. I'm you know, probably going to fall into those injury traps again. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so but I can see why some other people might, might go for that. Brian... The other, there's a lot of interest around Nico Hines for good reason. Um, I'm not keen on him to start the season and uh, Braden Trindle I'm concerned about in the same regard that they've got a pretty new look side. The Sharkies, particularly obviously the halves combination there. I mean, I suppose they've got Braley and, and Will Kennedy at one and nine. I mean, there is a little bit of a, them halves aren't locked in. There's talk of, you know, Moylan and Nico Hines, which in my opinion is ridiculous. They're two five eight two. It just will not work. They need Trindle there to complement Nico Hines, who, at the end of the day, he's a fullback making a shift to 5'8". Nico Hines at 686K. I think he averaged about 65 minutes last season, spending some time off the bench at the Storm. But in a new team with a new-look spine, in a new role, playing at, realistically, an inferior club to what he was last year, there's not a chance I'm paying up for him in round one. What's your take on the, the Trindle-Hines-Halves combination? And are they guys that you're interested in to start the year? No, I think you've hit the nail on the head. There's just, for me personally, too much uncertainty with not a whole lot of upside from 686K. You know, if he was a bit cheaper or something like that, you'd be like, well, there's, you know, like potential for good scoring plus money making or something like that. But yeah, it's just too much of an unknown. I probably don't, um, yeah, don't see enough upside to take the risk. Now, mate, here are three very interesting ones for you, and I'm very keen to get your opinion. I knocked off my Sharks analysis yesterday. Another bloke I'm not keen on is Cameron McInnes at 535k, who's quite popular for a few reasons. Uh, I will be interested in, in him down the track, but the Sharks are pretty stacked with forward depth. They've got Dale Finucane, who we believe will start at prop. I see him playing a 55 to 60-minute role. You've probably got Toby Rudolph at prop with him. McInnes at lock. You've then probably got two 80-minute edge back rolls in Nakora and Wade Graham. Uh, provided they go, say, a Matty Moylan at 14. The team I threw together had three middle forwards on the bench, uh, give or take CSC for Talakai, who can play middle or edge or wherever you need him to. But coming off the ACL injury, didn't play a game last season. It's been a long time out for him. He'll obviously get a few trials in. 
it seems a big price tag to pay for a bloke coming off that injury. So what, what's your take on McInnes and how will he return from the ACL in your opinion? Yeah, look, of, of all the ACL guys, he's probably the one of the ones I'm most confident on if you compare it to the other ACL guys for a few reasons. He, he injured it in February 2021, so that gives him 12 months of sort of recovery. His playing style isn't exactly ACL heavy, so, you know, change of direction, explosive speed, all that kind of stuff. You're getting him for a few runs, but a heap of tackles and, and stuff like that. But even in saying that, he's not someone who I'm really interested in taking. I'm not really interested in taking really anyone coming off an ACL in their first season back, to be brutally honest. But, um, yeah, like if, if I had to pick one of them, he would probably be, you know, the one who, who I'd take the risk on. But there's plenty of other guys who don't have those, once again, those uncertainties hanging over their head that I'd be much more interested in than sort of taking the plunge on a McInnes coming back from an ACL. Yeah, we also we just spoke about how important these attacking upside players are in the current Supercoach game, and McInnes for me is more of yeah, he's, he's a workaholic who get through massive numbers, uh, but not necessarily those attacking stats. So I don't think he has the ceiling of others. As I said, a guy I'm interested in, dual hooker, second row forward, but I want to see how he returns from the injury and see him more than anything playing eighty minutes. Hopefully, get him at a bit of a discounted rate. Ads, I'll shoot back to you in a minute, but. The other two that I found, there's a few, I suppose, left-field options, but both massive injury concerns as well. Brian, should the injury sto- uh, sorry, the cheapy stocks and mid-range stocks be a bit slim, a bit light on come round one? Wade Graham at 350K, we know he's noted concussions and injuries, so there's a risk there, and I'm not realistically keen on him, but far out. He, he's been a good supercoach player in the past, and just a cheeky little one there with attacking upside. And, mate, the big one, we saw him play on the weekend. I couldn't believe this when I went through the Sharkies players, but Andrew Fafida is 205K. <laughs> I, I think we forgot how little he, like, partook in the NRL season last year. Came back for the, the Indigenous All-Stars game on the weekend, busted eight tackles. I think he played at 47 minutes. Mate, big FIFA, he's back on the radar. <laughs> yeah, look, like both of them, as you say, interesting options because of their price. Uh, look, I, I will say for Fida, it's one of those ones I like. I just couldn't trust him to still be on the field after round four or five. Like he, yeah. he's got the degenerative knee, which has been giving him problem for years. I think I went back and had a look. I think it was last year or the year before when they had the, a similar sort of thing. I think it was last year actually. They had the you know the the All Stars game and somebody did super coach scores from the All Stars game and for Fida scored like. 50 or 60, so everyone was like, oh, my God, here we go. And then, like, his knee played up for, like, eight weeks and he barely played and all that kind of stuff. He's coming off this throat injury as well. I, like, he's a wonderful, wonderful price. I get it. But, yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it personally just because he's got about seven different things that you've got to take into account. He's great. If he's still there at round three, he's a perfect downgrade, you know, to free up some cash and then go up. But I just think it's a trade that you don't have to spend until you absolutely have to spend it. And, yeah, Wade Graham, with these concussion guys, and we'll talk about a few later, but for me, if you're going to go down the concussion route, like with these guys who've had the complex ones, there's got to be upside, significant up, upside, because it can only take one blow for them to be sort of, you know, out for weeks. And I just don't think it's there for Wade Graham at the moment. Yep. Adam, any other Sharks plays you wanted to talk about? I suppose just one more to touch on before we move on for me is Jesse Ramin, 550K. We just spoke about trying to get these probably guys that may be slightly undervalued coming into round one who, who have a decent ceiling on them. 
Ramian last year, 63 point average, 33 in base. He tackle bars, he offloads. Not a prolific try scorer, five tries in 17 games last year. Mate, he ticks every box as a super coach option, and um, he's a pod to consider for round one. What do you reckon? Yeah, I finished the year with him last year, mate. He's a he's a funny player when he when you got him in his side and watch him. I reckon because he's a, he's a good player and he can he can kind of have a burst and suddenly get you know 30, 40 points. But to me, he doesn't do it enough. Like I, I, now I don't know how many you know tons he had last year, but it couldn't have been many. Um, he's kind of he's kind of pretty consistent, even though he's getting decent chunk of his points and attacking points. So he's a good player. I reckon I'd, I'd be looking at him around buys and things like that. Whether he might be the sort of guy you think, okay, he suits to come in as a kind of keeper style player around a buy round. But uh, I'm not starting with him at the moment because I think at that price point, I just don't see him going up a lot. Um, and by the way, Brian's just made me think about Andrew Fafita now because I was looking at him thinking, same as you, Tim, 200 <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, yeah, like he, he could be a 400K player on your bench, but um, now he sounds like uh, he could fall apart at any minute. So well, I'll... Go, go back and have a look. I, I, I just glanced at it quickly, but I'm sure he scored really, really well last year in the in the All-Stars game as well. I feel like he gets up for the for the Indigenous game and then, yeah, and then he just fell to crap to start the season. I think I even drafted him in one of my leagues in like the 16th or 17th <laughs> round thinking like, yep, yeah, like he scored well in the, you know, in, in the All-Stars game and then, yeah, I dropped him like, you know, two or three weeks later because he just was doing nothing. Hey, just, just on Wade Graham or just on concussion players in general, I hate to kind of put people in a bracket like that, but I reckon the other thing to consider is um, just how much time you can die with those guys on your bench where you think they're always a week away from coming back. So if you think about it, Ryan Madison, you know, they end up out six weeks, but everyone's thinking they're going to be back the next week. So you hold on one more week, one more week. And versus a guy that's kind of gone for the season, so you know what to do with them. So I, I'm going to be really wary of bringing in a guy like Ryan Madison or Wade Graham when they've got that risk. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly right. Hey, this next topic is going to change, I reckon, about 150,000 Supercoach teams in the flip of a coin because it's going to do it to mine, I know that. Brian, we'll get into a few injuries and uh, this is probably leading into the preseason, hoping that we're going to get you on at some point, being very generous to jump on the show. This is the segment I've been looking forward to the most. Um, mate, we're going to go through a few key players and basically just get your opinion on where they're at injury-wise, how they're looking for round one, and I suppose uh, what the chances of injuries reoccurring are. The big, big, big one to start the season. There's a lot of talk around Nathan Cleary. Mate, how do you see his fitness uh, leading into the season? And do you think he'll be there round one? Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, round one or two, it seems to be tracking for at this stage, unless he has some sort of late setbacks in his recovery. Look, I think you treat Cleary like you normally would. I, I, I'm not giving him any injury discount really at all. Um, the, the point I keep coming back to, which I, I spoke about sort of in our um, in my injury profiles, is that he averaged just above 90 in the final four or five weeks of last season. Uh, and he had a shoulder that was hanging on by thread. So it's it, it, the, the position he plays, the game style he plays, he, he's not a middle forward. He's not making 50 tackles a game. He's not making 20 runs. So the integrity of his shoulder, whether it's at, you know, full strength or full endurance, isn't really all that relevant. It's, you know, probably for him, it's how accurate is his passing, that kind of thing, and that that will have been fine from early on in his rehab. So his scoring, you're more looking at his draw, you know, how you think the Panthers are going to go. It's all the 
considerations outside of injury that I'd be looking at for Cleary because, yeah, like injury-wise, I just don't think it'll affect him that much at all. So when considering your round one team, not too concerned? No, no. And the re-injury rate, like the, the surgery he had, ladder J, it's about a 2 to 3% failure rate. So, you know, very, very low risk of sort of re-injury. Very reassuring that. Hey, Tommy Trebojevic, uh, no injury concerns to note as far as as far as I I know. Um, I suppose we have to talk about him because we've got you on here and we'll take the opportunity. But when you're paying one point, what is it, two six million dollars for him and tearing your side to pieces to get him in, uh, that injury reaggravation or aggravation, I should say, is a concern. Again, is that what do you what's your take on that? Yeah, look, look, I don't think you really have too many concerns about him this far down the track. He's still, look, all hamstring injury sufferers do then carry a, a slightly increased risk of hamstring injury sort of for the rest of their career almost. But we're talking like, you know, 1% to 2%, right? Like it's not huge. As soon as you get past that, the, the evidence tells us about that 16-month mark, um, then it's, it's really negligible. So he's not quite there. I think he's at about 12 months. So there's a slightly increased risk, but look, I think with him, it's it's his price, right? Like it's whether you can yeah. you can pay that much money. I, I, like, but once again, I'm not shying away from him because of injury risk. I'm more looking at yeah how ridiculous his price is and whether he can repeat that season from last year. Beautiful. So they're the two big ones you needed. All clear on Cleary and Turbo uh, at this stage, mate. David Fafida, is he carrying anything, or is he all clear as well? Look, I had Fafita pegged before the All-Star, All-Star um, game as my injury buy of the year, actually. Um, so he was one who I was very, very keen on purely because he played through a rib cartilage injury last year. Really, really decreased his, um, you know, his, his performance. He was able to play, which with these rib cartilage injuries you can, but just, yeah, his performance went through the floor. I think his average went down to sort of in the 60s and, and stuff like that. So that really brought his price down. So I was really keen on him. But then, yeah, he did suffer that rib injury. The Titans have come out and said, look, there's no significant damage, but there's not going to be with a rib injury. A rib injury like that mm. isn't about damage. It's about pain. Um, so I actually, I just put a post up on Patreon late last week, sort of indicating that I'd actually be more comfortable if he sat out the next couple of weeks just to let the ribs sort of settle down. I, I do worry if he plays the next couple of weeks, if he cops another blow to the area, that he has more pain. So he's one I'm really keeping an eye on over the trials because if he does play, I'm actually more concerned about him sort of aggravating something. He's currently in my side, but um, yeah, it's, it's really a watch and see over the next couple of weeks to see what he does. Very good. And mate, the last two that I had jotted down that I wanted you to, to share a bit of an insight on were staying around this fullback conundrum, but James Tedesco and Ryan Pappenhausen, bit of word about James Tedesco maybe carrying something throughout the preseason. I don't know much about it. And I suppose Pappy is just, we saw him come back at the back end of last year from those that pretty or very serious concussion he had, had an extended period out. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? I know yourself and Ads just touched on concussions a little bit, but are they guys you'd be concerned about going into round one or are you giving them the all clear as well? 
Yeah, so Tedesco, he's had the ongoing knee, which he's been dealing with, you know, since early in his career. I think he blew an ACL, fractured a patella, tore an MCL. So he's got a fair bit going on, and that sort of resulted in some cartilage and meniscus wear and tear over the years. So what they do is they do a stem cell procedure to try and sort of help manage those symptoms and stuff like that. He had it last done in 2016. Uh, so coming off that, he he, he was fine. Like I, I think I had a look at the final five games of 2016, he averaged 61. And then in the first five games of 2017, he averaged 68. So it shows you that, you know, these procedures, you're not talking about surgically reconstructing anything. It's kind of like, I heard one, you know, doctor refer to as an oil change for players. You know, they just kind of get freshened up and away they go. So I'm not really concerned about him. I'm actually quite encouraged by him, actually, because he did play through that hit pointer last year. That kind of decreased his output a little bit, noticeably, um, you know, down on tackle busts and that kind of thing. Um, and then he's getting Kiri back, which increases his average about that 10 points historically. So, yeah, I'm pretty confident on him. He was sort of straight in my side. And then Pappenhausen, I mean, we touched on it, but... Uh, Adam's exactly right. It's about that uncertainty, right? Like you can, you know, if, if if Pappy cops a knock and they say, look, he's going okay, that's fine, and you hang on to him, and then one week becomes two, becomes three, becomes four. It's not like a, you know, a hamstring injury or a syndesmosis injury where you've got a really clear idea of when that person's going to be back. It can just you know, go on and on and on. I still like Pappy purely because I think there's just massive upside there. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I saw you guys right in his 80-minute games, you know, he averages over 110 or something like that. So for me, the upside and and, and a point I've made in the, in the injury profiles is that for someone like Pappy, I'd rather start with him and only have to burn one trade to kind of get him out of my side if he suffers a concussion then yeah. sort of get to round four or five, be like, holy shit, Pappy's absolutely lighting it up. I'd get him in and I'd bring him in and then he suffers a concussion. So I've burnt two trades to sort of get him in and out. So, yeah, for the upside that's there, I'm pretty confident starting with him. Great point you make there, mate. Start with him. If he does get done, it's only one trade out. Cleary, Turbo, Teddy, all clear. Pappy, pretty clear. Bit of a watch. Dave Fafita, massive watch through the preseason trials. Brian, what about any blokes that you in particular like for your side uh, leading into the preseason? I suppose not everything we ask you has to be injury-related, mate. Um, who do you like? Yeah, no, well, like I have gone down a bit of an injury path, I guess, purely because I guess, you know, people sort of look to me for that kind of stuff. So I've got five players that I do kind of like physically performance-wise. Now, obviously, you, you've got considerations around their roles in the side and different things, but I've got Cam Munster, Mitch Barnett, Josh Curran, Zach Lomax, and um, Tom Flegler. So the reason I like Munster is he played through the last two seasons, he's played through uh, repeated MCL injuries and a Liz Frank injury. Liz Frank injuries are really, really rough. They really decrease players' performance. So for him to have played through that and still, you know, maintained a 70 average, I, like I do like him for a bit of bounce back. Mitchie Barnett played through bilateral sets of both sides, groin injuries last year to the point where some weeks he couldn't even train, could barely walk and was getting up on the weekends. And once again, still averaged really quite high in Supercoach. So I don't mind him for a little bit of a bounce back as well. Uh, Curran, you know, Curran had a few injury um, affected games last year through concussions and and had an elbow injury and different things. So especially with Tohu Harris likely to come back and sort of ease his way back in off an ACL injury, I do like um, Curran early in the season. 
Zach Lomax dealing with that thumb last year, that really brought his average down too. If you take away sort of the ones affected by the thumb, he was up above that 60 mark. I think it was early 60s, even in a down year for him. So he's one of those kind of mid-range CTWs that I'm really eyeing off as like a bit of a bounce back. And then Tom Flegler, he his was a big one actually because he came back off a of shoulder rico last year and averaged really, really horribly. So in the first couple of, I think it was the first 10 games, he averaged 35 super coach points a game, which is quite common for forwards coming back off um, shoulder ricos. But then the last 10 games, so you split his season down the middle, last 10 games, he, he went up 10 game, 10 minutes of game time per game, so up to 47 minutes a game, and he averaged 50 super coach points. So nothing, you know, massive, but still a bit of value there, and I think he could kick on this year. Mm, good ones. Yeah, Tommy Flegler's a bloke. There's such a super coach weapon on him, as you've just alluded to. And I put big Corey Horsburgh in the same sort of boat. Speaking of list franks, I think he might have had the same one last year. Just both big boys. They've got big motors on and they've got terrific offloads. Uh, but we need things that they're both at clubs with pretty decent middle depth. So I think Tommy's missing the first few rounds as well. So a bit of a watch there. Hey, mate, what about blokes you don't like? Blokes maybe coming back from injuries that, that I've, I've seen plenty of them in Supercoach teams to start the season. Um, who are blokes that you'd steer clear of that we maybe haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, so like one who I, I feel a bit, I guess, guilty sort of even mentioning his name in five the, like five players that I don't like all that much. But I, I do want to talk about Luke Keary because like I think I see him in a lot of people's sides and I think purely on price points. So I think he's priced at about a 60 average and he averaged sort of 70s, early 70s, mid 70s last season. But the big thing with this is that not only is he coming back off an ACL injury, he also had foot surgery over the or ankle surgery over the offseason. So he's been off his feet for ages as well. He Even taking the ankle surgery out of it, he would have to be an outlier to come back and improve on his average from last year. And I love the Roosters. I, I've got a tip for the Premiership this year. I reckon they're going to be massive. But, like, I'm not one when on ACL injury sort of betting on someone being an outlier. And there's only been one player I went back and charted them all in the last six or seven years. There's only been one player who's come back from an ACL injury and actually improved his average. And it was Roger Tuivasa's check. And it was only by, like, two points. And, and, I mean, RTS was an absolute freak. So That is an incredible stat. Yeah, so, so like everybody else either is equal or lower. So I, I like I, I, it's not that I don't like Kiri necessarily because, as I said, I think he does have that injury discount. So there's a little bit of value there. But people sort of thinking, and like I'm high on the Roosters, but thinking that the Roosters are going to be great, Kiri's just going to tear it up. Like he could, but once again, as I said, the odds are very much stacked against him to do that. So it's not something, it, once again, he's one who I'm more than happy to sort of sit back and wait. His re-injury risk is quite low. So a bit opposite to Pappenhausen in that I'd rather just sit around and wait, see how he goes. And if he's killing it, I can then bring him in and it's only one trade. Whereas like if I've kind of got him and I've got his crappy scores earlier in the season and I was expecting a lot more, it's still only one trade, but I've had to deal with his poor scoring in that time as well. Yeah. The one thing I will say on Kiri for anyone interested in him, that stat about the ACLs and Supercoach averages is mind-blowing and I'll reassess everything I do as a result of that. The one thing with Kiri though, we spoke about how different Supercoach was last year and how big these ceilings went, how high the averages went, how high people finished price rise as a result of the scoring. 
Geary only played, what, was it two and a half games or something last season? So arguably hasn't benefited from the new rule changes yet, uh, but still one to be wary of. Adam, any questions there to follow on from Brian? Oh, mate, my side's in disarray after this. That was great, Brian. I've just, uh, I'm reevaluating a few guys that I've got in my side or that I was tossing oh, up. Like, oh, yeah, I heard you, yeah, I heard yeah, you mention like, SJ before. He was another one on my list. So, yeah. like, I, I just, like, I love SJ. And I'm talking, my, my list of five that I don't like is, is full of, like, three or four blokes who I, like, absolutely love. But SJ, for me, look, he had, you know, he, he theoretically should actually be a bit of value because he's coming back, second season back from an Achilles injury. Like, usually that's when guys start to come back. But he's had, I think, seven or eight soft tissue, lower limb, soft tissue injuries in the last two seasons. And that's just way too many for me. Like, it's getting to a point where I'm like, his re-injury risk is quite high. So these these teams that I see SJ and Kiri sort of being in, I'm like, oh, man, I'm nervous if you're starting yeah. with both of them, let alone one of them, um, yeah, in your halves. I think I think those two guys are, yeah, pretty pretty risky at this point in time. Yeah, I'm looking at my draft side at the moment. I've got both of them sitting there, so yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm scrambling. I what think about, you um, go with one but not both. What about a guy like Tony Staggs? I know Tim Tim would be rushing to get him in there after his luck with him in the last two years, but yeah, he's maybe. <laughs> I think Tim's had him in there for two weeks for two two early game injuries, but um, he he owes me somewhere in the vicinity of forty five thousand yeah. dollars. We won't get into that. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but he does. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, what about him? Yeah, I don't mind him. His re his re injury risk is the only concern. Performance wise, he should be in tip top shape because he's had the whole off season to you know hone his performance. It's his second season back from an ACL injury, and he's one who actually he equaled his sort of previous averages from Supercoach in the past. So he actually returned really well from his ACL injury. Mm. Did well last season, so can only see an improvement this season. But there is that re-injury risk because he had the ACL and the MCL injury late last year was both on the same knee. So he's someone I'm a little bit concerned about re-injury risk-wise. But I think while you've got him, once again, I look at these guys and I'm like, well, he's going while he's fit, he's going to perform really, really well. And I think he's going to perform at much over what his price suggests. So he's another one who I'm like, if, I, if I'm going to have him in my side, I want him. And if I have to burn a trade because he re-injures it, it's only one trade. Um, whereas, like, as I said, it's that opposite sort of approach to a Kiri or someone like that who I actually think could underperform. And that affects, like, once again, we're looking for scoring points, right? So for someone like um, for Stags, there is a little bit of re-injury risk there, not as much as, say, a Sean Johnson, for example. Um, but I just think his performance while he's there, there's way too much upside. So I've got him in my side. Hey, Brian, mate, I've been through, you've put together a Patreon, you've done injury profiles on just about every play in the NRL. Uh, it's outstanding work, mate. Give it a plug because people need to know about it. It's an absolute corker. What have you got? Yeah, mate, look, I, I went through, like, this is a lot of stuff, like a, a lot of your, you know, I know I model a lot of stuff I do around, like, the American sports, like NFL, NBA, those kind of things. So this kind of stuff exists. It, dozens of guys over there do this stuff. So it's just, I've gone through 250 players in the NRL, probably, you know, for classic purposes, you probably don't need that many, but it, it covers all the big guys. And, and I think where people probably don't sort of understand where I'm trying to go with this is that I get a lot of questions, not just, you know, how many weeks is, you know, so-and-so going to be out four to six. It's about, 
the expectations on their return. So not only on their performance, their re-injury risk, because someone like, you know, a Josh Schuster, for example, you could ask me how long is he going to be out for with his syndesmosis injury? And I could say he's probably going to be back in, you know, rounds three to five. But then the implication is what's he going to be like when he comes back? Because there's certain injuries for forwards that really affect them. As I said, a shoulder reconstruction for, you know, a Tommy Flegler, when he came back, it really affected him. But it doesn't affect a player like Cleary all that much. And then what's the re-injury risk like for different players, all that kind of stuff. So I cover all that. I've got injury histories. I've got implications to Supercoach, and that's where it goes a little bit further than what I cover on social media. Social media is usually pretty straightforward, look X amount of weeks out, that kind of thing, whereas my Patreon is really around Supercoach implications, scoring, performance, that kind of stuff, which I think, you know, has its value. It's only five bucks um, for the for the, um, for the profiles, over, you know, 25,000 words or so, and then you get access to all my insights throughout the week or throughout this month. Um, which I've already got stuff on Dave Feeder, on Shoestar, you know, all those kind of guys. So I'm always posting stuff up. So, yeah, if you can, patreon.com slash NRL physio. Love it, mate. I'm not just tooting your horn, but you're genuinely starting on the back foot if you don't check that out because it gives an incredible insight. Uh, I think you're actually going to shoot us a little bit of an article for it to give a bit of a preview, a bit of a teaser of what uh, that is, what becomes available in that information in, in the next week or so as well. Yeah, mate. Yep. Hopefully, get um, get a team over to you guys, um, one one of the sixteen teams, and and give everyone a bit of a preview of what I'm talking about. Love it, mate. Hey, boys. Let's move on to the Canterbury Bulldogs club analysis. Uh, Adam Darusi is our man for this one. He's a big Bulldog supporter. Knows a few ins and outs of the club. Ads. Really interesting side this year. We've been waiting for it for a couple of years now with all these new signings. Gus Gould on board. Um, Promising heading into the new season, but a lot of new combinations, a fair bit of youth there, uh, you know, a new look spine. Supercoach wise, there will be relevance this year. I'm a little bit hesitant to go near them early on because I want to see how they perform and how long it takes them to click as a club. Uh, Mate, the the two big ones, well, the one to start with, I suppose, is Matty Burton, who... The rap, I mean, I don't need to say the rap's on him. We've all seen what he can do, but he's been doing it out of position basically at Penrith. He moves back into his preferred halves spot at the Dogs. I've seen a bit of interest around him to start the season as, as a halves pot at 576k. Absolute freak. On your radar or are you going to sit and watch? Oh, mate. Oh, he's on my radar as a supporter. Like, I can't wait to see him. <laughs> <laughs> mate, um, I, I tend not to try and let my Bulldogs bias influence my super coach side. So I don't know that he's on my radar to bring in. I mean, there's just too many questions at the moment, right? Like, I'd, I'd love it if in the first three weeks he killed it and he was a must-bring in. Like, nothing would give me more joy than the shuffle my side around for that. But, you know, at the moment he's priced having played in a Penrith side that was winning games by 40, yeah. and he's coming to a side that could barely score a try last year. So there's a lot of pressure on him. Uh, look, he might be kicking goals. We don't know who the goal kicker is yet. But I don't think the club um, fully knows that yet. So... Uh, I guess if he's a goal kicker, that would that would help. But I think I'm going to sit and wait a little bit to see what the side side looks like before I bring him in. That's for sure. And mate, one bloke who's at pretty surprisingly high ownership for me. I don't hate him as a shout by any means, but Tavita Pangai Junior, five hundred sixty nine k, twenty eight percent ownership. Uh, you look at someone like Ryan Madison, who's at eight percent ownership. Big big difference. What about him, mate? He's dual front row, second row forward. We keep speaking about these ceilings in the current game. Uh, he's a guy who is moving from a team who struggled to a team who has struggled, but he's definitely on the up. And 
should get potentially get a, a bigger minute role at the Dogs, will be viable to that pack. Does he interest you? Yeah, he does. I've got him in my side at the moment. Um, it's probably just because I don't quite have enough cash for Payne Haas, so I've got him in there instead of Haas at front row. I, I mean, I, I could change my side six times between now and and um, round one, but I've got him in there at the moment. Again, just looking at the side thinking we're going to need a guy like that to step up and, and attack. Like, I think he's going to have a fair bit of a role within the side, albeit, like you said, he did have that within the Broncos last year as well, uh, not so much at the Panthers. So... You know, and he got guys like Fafita at the Titans. Yeah, he got a lot of opportunities like that. Uh, so I'm hoping he might be the same in terms of opportunity. I just like his upside, mate. He's he's just the sort of guy that can uh, score tries, and I, I want I want second rowers that can score tries and potentially you know two or three of them. Mm. Brian TPJ, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but put together a lot of games last season when not suspended, um, a bloke who has had an injury, a lot of injury concerns in the past, he seems to be fit and firing and there'd be no concerns there, would there? Or, or are you still a little bit timid? No, no, this far down the track, he's been fine. It's As you said, it's his suspension record that's the the, uh, the concern, definitely not injuries at this stage. Is there anyone at the Dogs that takes your eye? Uh, probably uh, like the biggest one, and I guess takes my eye for not the, I guess the most positive reason, but I've seen a few guys floating around uh, Raymond Fatal Mariner um, in their side. I look at probably, I'm speaking at a point where there was a report this morning that Jack Hetherington's going to be play right edge. So, you know, that's, that's probably something that will shut down RFM from a lot of sides. But I just think that I need to point out that the, the surgery he's coming back from and the injury he's coming back from is a really, really rough one. Um, it's one that you can't it, – it's very unpredictable. Uh, like, it's it, – yeah, it's just not something that you take a risk on. You sit back, see how he goes, see how he comes back. But he will have been off his feet for a lot of the off-season. He's just getting back into things. Yeah, I wouldn't be looking at him at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Wait and watch. Ads, what can you tell us about Paul – correct me for my pronunciation, but Alamoti – Gun little center, a sneaky chance for round one, or if not at some point of the year, would be a great cheapie for us. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm probably like a lot of other Bulldogs fans. Like, I haven't seen a lot of him. I mean, we've all read the same articles if you're a Bulldogs fan. I know the club, um, pretty excited by him, but equally, you know, he's only just turned 18. So uh, I, I think I think he's a chance of playing first grade this year and even towards the start of the year, but it'll come down to injuries to other blokes like uh, Corey Allen and those sorts of guys as to whether they're ready to go. But I wouldn't say he's out of it as a chance of round one, but equally he's no guarantee. So I think it's one of those blokes that we'll all be looking at trial games and then uh, team this Tuesday. But I know that the club, the club's got a, a big opinion of him. Any Bulldogs fan can read that. But yeah, looking forward to seeing him. Yeah, boys, let's jump into a couple of very quick questions from social because I know you've got real jobs to go to and uh, have to dig into those. So a couple of fast ones. Supercoach by Adriana Soros, one of the greats of the Supercoach community. And a great question here. I'm constantly switching between Maddo, Curran and TPJ and want to know who you guys prefer and why. Who would you go out of those three, Brian? Oh, well, I do like Curran. Um, I think he's, you know, as I said before, he's someone who I think can improve. And, and TPJ, if I had to split, yeah, I, I like Maddo's definitely third in that list for me just because of the concussion concerns. Um, so probably I'd go, yeah, TBG one, TB, TBJ one, current two, Maddo three. 
Hmm, interesting. I see. I'm Mado one. I, I love Mado. He's five sixty nine k this season. Averaged sixty nine minutes last year. There's a bit of a chat about him moving to the middle, which I hope he doesn't because I, I love him on the edge. Um, I can see why Para thinking about doing it. There's a few question marks over Nathan Brown's availability, uh, fitness. I think going into our round one. So. Obviously, this is Pennyham being named to start in the edge, but I think Maddo's a player who's undervalued, has the ceiling. Of course, there's a concussion risk. But as Brian alluded to before, if you're starting with him, it's only one trade to get rid of him as opposed to bringing him in and out and burning two. Hey, Ads, I'll go over to you, mate. Liam Martin at 420K with Kurt Capewell gone from the Panthers. We think he probably should slot into an 80-minute back row role there at Penrith. Uh, probably not a supercoach gun of the past. If he gets the minutes there in a great side, any interest at that sort of mid-range price? Not for me, mate. I think he's an awesome player. Like, I love the way he plays. He's just so aggressive and tough. Um, but I just doesn't have the attacking upside I'm going to want in my side. Like, I, I want guys that are, uh, like I say, chance of doing work and, and scoring tries. And I, I know he can score tries, but it's just not enough for me. Last question from Adam Sargent. I'll throw this one to you, Brian, because I know you have an interesting answer to it. God help me, he says. I'm thinking of running with Paps and a 500k fullback, looking at Manu, Kennedy, maybe Ponga. Feel the 200k saved and spent elsewhere is a good idea. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I, I specifically saw this question and wanted to sort of raise in, uh, I guess, a point on Ponga. I think everyone's really gone off him this season. Like, I, you know, I see everyone sort of jumping off saying, oh, you know, Newcastle's going to be horrible, which they are, <laughs> more than likely. <laughs> um, you know, like he's he's not gulking and that kind of thing. But the guy is still just an absolute gun. Like, guns still do well, you know, even in bad sides because they funnel all the attack through that player. Um, and then last year, in terms of injury, you know, perspective, he came back from a shoulder rico really, really well, averaged A in the first, you know, few games of the season. Then he had a groin injury, which is horrible for a player like him. Like a groin injury is going to restrict his performance. So the fact that he came back, averaged, you know, a bit lower, is not a surprise at all, once again, because of this type of injury, the type of player he is. So I don't mind him at all as a bounce back candidate. I, like I've considered him for my side as well. So someone like him, I, I don't mind taking a taking a shot on him. Mate, you want and expect the Knights to go horrible this year, but you expect Ponga to kill it. Is this any association to the fact that you want him maybe to be the marquee signing of Redcliffe? <laughs> Mate, get him, get get anyone there under the age of thirty five at this point. <laughs> like I'll literally take anyone sort of in their twenties, yeah, who, who wants to run. Mate, Jesse Bromwich will be good in the house for you. You'll be right. <laughs> hey, fellas, thank you very much. I'll let you go there. It's been a great podcast, in my opinion. Adam, thank you very much for your time, mate. No problems, mate. Thanks to be back. And, and Brian, thanks for jumping on. No, no worries, mate. Good to be on. Cheers, guys. Thank you.